powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome, everyone, to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, your host, along with Chief Producer William Foster. Hello. And this is the CEO Leaders Podcast Show. We have one clear objective, to provide tools, information, and entertainment to make you better than before in business and in life. You can subscribe to our show on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and now, ladies and gentlemen, even on the C-Suite Radio Network. And we are a pleased and proud partner with all of those platforms. Uh, coming up over the next couple of weeks, we've got some fabulous guests today on the show. Grant Kimball, my really good friend uh, from Portland, Oregon, will be live with us on the show to talk about brands. And we're going to talk about brand architecture, defining your brand, how to align your brand plan and your business plan so that it's seamless. Uh, coming up, I'm going to have Alan Miltz on the show. He's a business cash flow guru. He's coming up in a, a week or so. And uh, we have uh, an attorney coming on the show in a couple of weeks to talk about estate planning and succession planning, especially on family farms. But if you have parents or grandparents or whatever that are getting a little elderly and you want to make sure of the protection of their assets, you probably want to be uh, listening when Connie Hayden comes on the show because we're going to be talking about how to protect those assets and how to do some estate planning. Your ancestors have worked very, very hard over the years for the assets they have, and we want those protected to be able to be handed down from generation to generation. So that should be interesting. We have our Exponential Leadership Retreat here at our offices of Clear Vision Development Group, three days in February, February 26th, 27th, and 28th. I'm only doing this one time this year in 2019, so you don't want to miss out. Go to clearvisiondevelopment.com for all the details and to sign up. Okay, so let's dive into some stuff that's going on. And uh, this week, I wanted to look at some of the trends that are happening. We do board presentations sometimes for C-suite teams about how the market's changing, how the planet's changing, how business is changing. And we're living in a time of exponential change right now. I mean, it seems like the speed of change is going more rapidly than it ever has before. One of the places where we're experiencing a lot of change is in the U.S. job market. It is actually brushing up against its best performance in 50 years. But certain occupations are in greater demand than others, and those involving new or particularly human-led skills that seem least subject to automation. In its latest quarterly report, Cognizant reports that jobs of the future that's occupations like cyber calamity forecaster, career counselor, solar engineer, jumped 68% in 2018, vastly outperforming the market as a whole. 
By comparison, the 2.6 million jobs created last year by the sizzling economy overall were only a 1.5% addition to the U.S. labor force. I know that several businesses here in Columbia and almost every client we work with has a hard time finding people. Right. I mean, they really do. This juxtaposition is not entirely fair as the index involves only a fraction of the 163 million U.S. labor force, yet the result suggests that a broad sampling of future pointing skills and not just jobs like software engineering is enjoying takeoff after struggling unevenly until now. Here's the big question. The index is made up of 50 jobs that have both a traditional and digital component, and it attempts to nibble at one of the most consequential questions of our age, what will happen with jobs in the new age of automation and artificial intelligence? Are we all going to be working for robots? No, they're going to be working for us. (laughs) Well, that's the way I want it. (laughs) Hey, get me a sandwich, robot. Future of work forecasts usually veer between wild extremes. On one side, we have predictions of a jobs wipeout with humans left in low-paying work, if they can find any work at all. And the other extreme, which is more benign, which is foreseeing the creation of sufficient jobs for every person. At minimum, the index suggests that we are on our way to finding out which way we will be going. All 50 jobs are indexed to the third quarter of 2016, starting at the score of 1.0, and the index was negative before 2018. By the fourth quarter of 2017, Master of Edge Computing was down to 0.82. Transportation Supervisor had fallen to 0.50, and Fashion Designer to 0.71. But a year later, they were at 1.37, 1.21, and 2.68, respectively. Fashion designer was the fastest-growing job of 2018. It jumped 279%. I would have never guessed. So these post-Trump tax cuts uh, are causing a surge in hiring across the board. Jobs of the future and all jobs. Uh, This is according to Benjamin Pring, head of Cognizant Center of Future Work Unit, who is the guy who basically invented this index. Stephanie Cresreal, who is CEO of Upwork, the freelance job site, is quoted as saying, It's no surprise that digital jobs are growing so fast. Upwork produces its own index, which tracks skills commanding the fastest growing demand. They said particular skills are suddenly in great demand, for example, how to handle new software, but that the jobs dry up pretty quickly. So, hopefully podcast producer and podcast host will not be disappearing anytime soon. Right, yeah, wouldn't want that. But 20 years ago, those jobs didn't exist either. Right. So what is the cost to catch up? So my job is... Not as plentiful as it used to be, and I've got to re-educate and re-skill. The U.S. government and private companies will need to pay $34 billion if we want to re-skill 1.4 million workers who may lose their jobs to automation in the coming years. This is according to a new report from the World Economic Forum. Most of that cost will have to be covered by the government because only about 25% of it will be cost efficient for business. They met a couple of weeks ago. They have the big economic forum in Davos, Switzerland. 
and they sought to put a dollar amount on the fundamental reskilling of the workforce that will be necessary against a huge wave of automation presumed to be on its way. The report also said that 18% of those displaced, which is about 252,000 people, will not be reskillable economically, so the government will have to step in with some kind of assistance. Hmm. So, did your mom ever tell you don't do or you're going to catch a cold? It's always uh, don't go outside when it's cold. Yeah. Put your coat on. Yes. Um, don't go outside when it's cold and you're wet. Yes. Don't go outside with wet hair, mm-hmm. which when you get caught in a wintertime rainstorm without an umbrella, it's always dangerous, right? Because mm-hmm. you get inside, you shake off real good, and the sneezing starts right away, it seems like. So don't go outside with wet hair. Drink lots of orange juice. These are just some of the preventative measures against catching the common cold that American parents have been telling their kids for decades. But, but I say, none of them are supported by science. 70% of U.S. parents say they try to keep their children safe from the cold in part by employing unscientific tactics, according to a nationally representative survey administered by the University of Michigan. What do you think the common cold costs the United States every year in medical costs? And missed work. Good question. $40 billion. $40 billion per year in medical costs and missed work in the U.S. Compare that with $10 billion cost of the flu. So the flu in medical costs and missed work costs us $10 billion. And the cold, common cold, costs us 40 Almost all parents surveyed in this research said... They tell their kids to avoid sick classmates and wash their hands regularly, two habits that are indeed proven to prevent catching a cold. Well, there you go. But going outside with wet hair, <laughs> no. And <laughs> orange, orange juice doesn't you know, really do it. However, I am sold out to the idea that vitamin C mm-hmm. does help. I take a lot, a lot of vitamin C. Yeah, same here. It seems as if it's helped me. It may just be a placebo, but it seems like I don't have as many snorts and sniffles. It's the United States versus China in retail business. Recently, a survey asked U.S. retailers why they haven't kept pace with Chinese rivals. Their response is, the two countries can't be compared with one another. China is dominated by small specialty shops, not malls, and its people are accustomed to ubiquitous surveillance, which Americans believe is just creepy. But that defense may not be valid. Rod Sides, a retail expert at Deloitte, says he's advising his clients to follow China on being digital, so digitalization. If you convince the users that it's about convenience for them, they will get on board, he says. There are lots of things I can buy, but I cannot buy more time. And if you make it easy for me, I'm in. The digital sluggishness of U.S. retail has victimized Main Street, the mom-and-pop shops that have been left behind in the Amazon revolution, is one culprit of the blight of American downtown. Alibaba and Israel's tracks are following this digitalization in a box model, selling their tech know-how in the form of off-the-shelf software and equipment that make it easy to upgrade mom-and-pop stores in one fell swoop. 
As of September of last year, Alibaba had installed heat sensors, digital payment systems, and inventory tracking in some million mom-and-pop stores across China. In a dispatch last July from Shanghai, a convenience store owner told us that his profits jumped 30% after Alibaba installed its technology. A lot of things we talk about here, like frictionless checkout, they've had in China for a few years already, says Mr. Sides from Deloitte. So when we think about the cameras and the surveillance and stuff, we think it's uh, 1984 and Big Big Brother. Invasion of privacy. But uh, in China, that they're just so used to living that way. Wow. And finally, uh, before we get to our stat of the day, McDonald's is having problems with the name the Big Mac in Europe. The European Union, lovingly referred to as the EU, has canceled McDonald's trademark for the Big Mac in Europe. I can't, I just throw up my hands. I cannot believe this. The global fast food chain could not prove that it sells Big Macs. (laughs) That is the infraction that was cited on removing the patent. Yes, you heard me right. McDonald's could not convince the European Union Intellectual Property Office that it sells the food item for which I believe with my whole heart it is the most famous. The Washington Examiner published an incredulous takedown of this absurdity and then had to retract it out of its paper. (laughs) Oh, man. McDonald's defended itself with Big Mac sales figures, images of menus, brochures, local websites, and food packaging, at which the trademark office replied... That evidence holds little weight with us and yank the trademark. I'm, I'm speechless. How do you prove something like that then? You better believe McDonald's going to appeal. Mm-hmm. But they just said, I'm sorry, this evidence holds little weight with us and you now do not own the Big Mac any longer. Yeah, it sounds to me they're not a fan of McDonald's. I'd say. Okay, well, as you're holding your mouth open to that one, let me give you the stat of the day. You ready? I'm ready. Male diners give bigger and more frequent tips to servers wearing red t-shirts than those who might be wearing black, white, blue, green, or yellow, according to Nicholas Genjuin and Celine Jacob of the University of Bretagne Sud in France. There's no such effect from female customers, however, a finding that aligns with research, suggesting that red increases females' attractiveness to men. The study was conducted in France where tips were generally included in the bill and additional tipping is considered optional. 40.7% of male diners in the study provided additional tips to servers compared to 33.1% of females. So, Bill, if you want to attract some female attention, you need to change your wardrobe because I can't remember the last time I've seen you wear a red stuff. I don't know if I own anything red. Research suggests that red increases female attractiveness to men. How about that? So, the color research continues. Yeah. So, Grant Kimball is here, and he's going to be talking about the power of brand, how important it is to your business, and we'll get to him in just a second. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. 
As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home, which means we care for our customers like we care for our community. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Are you ready to up your game? Attend the Exponential Leadership Retreat from February 26th through 28th. In these three days, you'll receive personalized leadership coaching in a small group setting led by Tony Richards. Learn to communicate like a leader, understand your motivators, and differentiate yourself from your peers. As a business coach and consultant, I work with leaders every day to help them up their game and lead their team to victory. During this leadership development experience, you will receive the tools you need to unlock your potential. Invest in yourself and gain the same access to Tony that his C-level clients receive. Register for the Exponential Leadership Retreat online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and my special guest today is Grant Kimball, and he's the CEO of a company called Brand Insight. And Grant is a certified brand strategist through the Brand Establishment, which is an organization that we are both members of, and he's my really good friend, and he's joining us live from Portland, Oregon today. Hi, Grant. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm glad we were able to connect today because I've got some questions that I think will benefit our listeners. And I know that you have a lot of experience to share. Uh, before we get into that, though, why don't you just tell everybody kind of uh, a little bit about your background? Well, I've been in uh, marketing and brand development for several decades now, um, really starting more and focus on marketing and ran a, a marketing and PR firm for about 15 years. And uh, we evolved that into really focusing on brand development to make ourselves more successful marketers. Uh, but in the process, I realized that I really have a passion for helping companies use the power of a brand to start a company, build a company, and then ultimately have a good exit strategy for the company. And so that's really my focus is helping smaller, growing companies think about how that business cycle is going to work and what the exit strategy is and how they can leverage brand to build the value to that point. So when we're talking about, first of all, let's just establish like a foundation. So according to your philosophy, what, what is the brand? Ultimately, it is the distinct value that you provide to the customer. That starts with the product or service idea that you have that may or may not exist in the marketplace, but you know somehow fills a need. And it goes all the way through every experience that that customer has with you. And, and that, that experience is something that you have to plan and design. Otherwise, it becomes haphazard and you let other people define what your brand is about. So it has to be very intentional and planned and disciplined so that you can create that experience and deliver that value that you're looking for in the market. Let's get into the brand definition. That's that's kind of what we're talking about. So yeah. if I'm going to intentionally design a brand for uh, a product or a service or a company, um, what are the three or four things in your mind 
that are really key to that designing process? Well, there's really four main components, and you can't start too early thinking about it. I know that in the startup phase, it's very easy to focus on developing the product or service and getting the funding. Uh, Those are really kind of the two priorities of most CEOs. But if you don't put a little bit of thought into the direction of the company down the road beyond that point, then it's awful hard to get out of the startup phase. I think some of the things that are really worth thinking about in terms of the brand really early on is, you know, the first component is really what's the purpose? Why does the brand exist? Why is it relevant to the customer? Is there some purpose beyond just the core product or service idea? What are you trying to do to improve people's lives and be relevant to them? The second component is the brand identity. What does the brand represent to the customer and you know, who's behind it? Isn't that the part that people generally gravitate to the most? They gravitate toward it in the sense that they know that they need a logo. Right. Um, and so brand identity is a lot about creating the symbols that represent your company and represent what it stands for and, and what that experience is like. But I think most people start and stop with the concept that they just need a logo to launch the business. I think, too, that no matter how long people like you uh, go out there and preach at the top of your lungs that a logo is not a brand, I sometimes think that is still what people think. Absolutely. You know, most companies, the term brand is the equivalent of the logo and marketing. So it really does go beyond that. And the needs don't have to be super complex in the early phases of starting a company. If you kind of have a sense of what your purpose is, you create the symbols like logos to represent you and have them done in a way that is you know, very professional and represents you well on the market. Uh, you know what the primary benefit is to your customer and you know how to communicate that promise to the customer in a way that they know why you're valuable to them. And then you always think about that experience that a customer is having with you, whether they're calling you or going to your website or using your product or, you know, dealing with anybody in your company, if you've thought through that experience, those are just kind of the simple things that a business in early stages can be thinking about in terms of, you know, really defining what they are about and what they stand for in the market. So are there any other steps to defining the brand that we should mention? Well, there's certainly a process to go through to define the brand. Number one, at the end of the day, a brand is about differentiation. If you are not different, then you're not going to get a foothold in the market and you're not going to be able to maintain your pricing and your margins. Uh, You're not going to grow the way that you want to. So you really have to understand that sense of what makes you unique and different and valuable and to find the things that support that. Uh, So a, a lot of times in marketing, you hear the terms unique value proposition, unique selling proposition. Um, Those are valuable concepts to define two, three, or four kind of pillars that build your brand and make the business valuable. And so it's important to define those things early so that you know that that's what's guiding your decision-making as a company. And it keeps keeps you focused on the prize and and on making decisions that are going to build value and not let you get distracted. So those are really the main things as you have that sense of what makes you different and why you exist and what those three to five pillars are that you can build on. And that would keep you focused. And and not that they don't change down the road a little bit. 
you know, at least you're intentional about that change and, and you know that the market is progressing and you have to make changes in your business to react. Speaking of changes and evolution in the brand, where does brand architecture come into play in the process? Is that a more of a long-term strategy? It is a long-term strategy that you want to put a little thought to in the early stages of the company. The essence of an architecture is basically defining the relationships between the components of your brand. So uh, your company is a part of the brand. Your You might have pr uh, product lines that each might have their own brand identity underneath that. So it's really defining the relationships between these pieces. And in the early stages of the company, you might really just have the one product idea and you have the name for the company and you might talk about them as if they're really one and the same. And that's fine in the early stages. Uh, I think the challenge for most companies comes into when they get to 10, 20, 30 million dollars and they begin to expand markets, they begin to add product lines or services, then all of a sudden they want to, the company to stand for one thing, but they need multiple product brands or service brands underneath that, uh, that have different value propositions to different markets. And so they have to begin to figure out a way to pry apart what the brand for the company means, what the brand for the product means, and then add more products. And that can get, that's a lot of, you know, re-educating the market and a lot of effort that has to go into that. So I think it's really valuable in the early stages of the company to anticipate that you will have additional products and services as you grow, create meaning for the company brand, but create separate meaning for the product brand. Um, make sure that people understand what the differences between those two things are. are. You know, give yourself the room and the flexibility to add more products and services down the road. So say in the early stages of a company, that's just a little bit that you have to think about. You know, I encounter companies all the time that are that have a really important business strategy to go into new markets or add new products, but they are really hamstrung by the fact that everybody thinks their company and their old product are the same thing. I can sit here and think about companies who have, for lack of a better term, branched out and they have completely liquidated all their equity and goodwill in the brand because now the marketplace is totally confused. And I've also seen some companies who have done what you're talking about extremely well, and they've leveraged that and they've been a lot more successful and made a lot more money. So to me, that particular piece of it that you're talking about right there, you got to be pretty careful with it, I think. You do. And it really, I know in starting up a business in the early stages, you don't exactly know where it's going to go. And you do have to be flexible and give yourself room to make changes as you discover what the market really needs. So part of this is to really just anticipating that things are going to change and give yourself a framework for making those changes and not confusing the marketplace. I can think of some people like would go to a supermarket at this time of year and they just want Campbell's chicken noodle soup and there's chicken noodle soup, there's chicken and stars, there's home style, there's microwavable. I mean, the soup aisle for just Campbell's is half the aisle in the supermarket. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder, I'm like, wow, are there that many people that like this many varieties of soup? 
and I don't know the answer, but that's an example of what I'm talking about. I don't know whether it's working well for them or if it's a detriment, but that's that's sort of an example of really branching out and having a lot of extension in that one brand. Right. And then imagine, you know, if they tried to take that kind of brand of that warm, comforting, wintry experience with that food and extend it into something that is, you know, what if they wanted to do cold soups, gazpachos or something, you know, have they conditioned the market to think about their brand as just that warm, comfortable thing that they get in the wintertime? Are they setting an expectation in the market that they're really more about, uh, you know, healthy eating uh, any time of year, you know, so you kind of have to think about that experience, what we want your customers to think about you in your total. Or sometimes things that seem logical are not in the market. So what if they started thinking, well, people eat crackers with their soup. Right. So let's come out with Campbell's crackers. They go together. <laughs> I think Budweiser and Bush tried that with, uh, you know, some things that didn't turn out so well. But, um, well, everybody has snacks with beer, you know, but I'm not sure that that work, worked uh, as well. You talked about business strategy, like entering new markets and things like that. So how crucial is it for your brand strategy and your business strategy to be linked up? It's crucial. It's impossible to separate the brand from the business strategy. They are incredibly linked because the the thing that you want to be known for, the things that you want to represent have to be delivered by the business strategy. If you know you want your customers to have a certain experience, then it's going to impact the way that you sell your product, the way that you train people to represent the product, the distribution channels that you use, the way you package it, uh, the way that you handle customer service, um, the way that you create your digital marketing experience, all of those pieces of the business and all of the functions that handle it with inside an organization all have to have a guiding principle that they know they have to support. And that guiding principle is the brand. It's the reason for their existence. It's the thing that makes them competitive and different in the market. And so if each business function isn't asking themselves, what can I do to better deliver on that promise? Then you'll find that the brand uh, has less meaning. It becomes diluted. It, uh, the market gets confused about what it stands for. So the business strategy you know, has to have that principle to align to so it stays focused. Do you have an example of somebody you think does that very well? Well, I think in Portland, we're kind of the hub of the sportswear, sports marketing industry. So the crown jewel here in Portland is Nike. So everybody's really familiar with that company and the spirit of athletic competition that they've always stood for and innovation and their product lines and their materials and, and helping people find that inner athlete. So no matter what sport they go into, no matter what product line they come out with, whether it's golf balls or running shoes, that they are always looking to help people feel like they are unleashing their inner athlete and making the best of themselves. And so like they, over time, have done a really phenomenal job of you know, making sure that everything that they do represents that aspect of their brand. With a simple swoosh. With a simple swoosh, <laughs> which, uh, you know, probably was drawn on a napkin over lunch. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> but remember all the businesses there for a while. I mean, there for a while, it's probably been 15 years ago, but everybody's logo had to have a swoosh in it because they were trying to get a rub off of, well, you know, that's cool. So let's try to incorporate that somehow. Yeah. And that is the, uh, the downside of the lemming mentality of a lot of things in design is, you know, you see a, a few design principles that big companies have and they get copied by everybody else. And that's where you have to remember that the logo is a symbol of your uniqueness and your personality. And the more that you're just drawing it from other sources, the less it really reflects who you are. And so ultimately, you're going to get really tired of that logo because it just doesn't represent you very well. What's one thing that businesses can do uh, with their employees to make sure that there's alignment with the brand? Well, number one is define the brand. Uh, define it really clearly in what the company stands for, what makes it distinct. And then what are the components of the brand you know, that make that up? So if you want to be known for outstanding customer service, what does that mean to the customer? What does that experience look like? And then you have to connect that then to everybody's job inside the company. So if I work in customer service, obviously I'm going to have a pretty strong connection every day with what it means to deliver excellent customer service. And if I'm in marketing, then I probably know that I need to go out and, and make sure that our marketing messaging and our campaigns are all built around that concept of excellent service. But if I'm in finance, what do I feel my connection is to that? Or if I'm in manufacturing, uh, what does my connection feel like? So it's really important for the CEO and the leadership team to make sure that it's really clear how everybody's job and how every function inside the organization relates to the brand and how they help deliver it. So in finance, it might be the way you negotiate contracts, the, the, the terms that you put in your contracts, the way the contract is delivered, um, the way that you know you might thank them when it's done, um, the way the billing is handled, if there's any questions, how good are you at answering those questions and making the customer feel like that you, you, know, you, you wanna make sure that there's a good experience for them. So it, it really is taking a look at every function in the organization and, and making sure that it's really clear that every single person there is responsible for delivering that brand experience, even if they're not the ones working in customer service. Um, there are places throughout a company where a customer is coming into contact with that brand. I know with a lot of companies, um, they are very restrictive on how their brand is even used uh, by other people. I mean, you would have to pay them a fee to be able to be aligned with their brand or whatever. And even then they have very tight controls and restrictions on how it's supposed to be utilized and displayed. And, you know, I even think about like the symbol of the American flag, you know, it can't touch the ground. It can't be flown upside down. It's only flown at half mast on certain events, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the larger your company becomes, the more important it is to control that. But even when you're a smaller company, you put some thought into it. Uh, you know, if you're you're building a product and you're thinking about distribution and who your partners are going to be, well, you want partners that, you know, that are clear about 
you know, what your brand stands for so that when they have it in their stores or, or they have it on, in, in their e-commerce sites or, you know, in any situation where they are now representing your product or your company, they have to be really clear about where your value is so that they represent it well. And so even as a small company, you have to make sure you're clear about your brand, train distributors or other people that are not working directly for you on, on how to best represent that brand so that the customer sees a consistent experience, whether they're dealing directly with you or not, or, or dealing with a distributor. I'll give you another great example. I, um, I was going to a website on my phone. And I have a plus phone, so it's bigger than most people's phones. I mean, the screen size is bigger than the average phone, right? And I get this message off of this website when I go there that says, your screen is not large enough to format this website. And I thought, I immediately had a bad impression of that company. I'm like, if my screen's not big enough, nobody's is, right? I mean, they don't have it set up for mobile phones they lost some equity with me there. So I think all that stuff's important. Yeah. I, I run into those kinds of experiences all the time. The same as you where, you know, I, in my life use three different platforms kind of continuously, you know, PC and laptop and, um, you know, mobile phone and tablet and all of these things. And, and you can tell when a company has thought through the experiences of all of those devices, because, your interaction with them works well everywhere, but there's so many companies who you find that their mobile site is completely unusable, and that gives you a bad impression about the company. Um, so you do have to be very mindful of how people are interacting with you. Grant Kimball from Brand Insight is my special guest on this week's show. Grant, how do people find you online? How do they find out more about what you do? Well, so my uh, website, Brand Insight, so brand i n c i t e dot com uh, is my main site and you can definitely find out just the basic information about the types of companies that i work with um, the way that i think about brand and, and of course what my brand stands for wonderful i got a list of standard closing questions i run past every guest so we run through these really quick and i'm looking for the first answer that comes to mind okay okay Number one, what's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? You know, I've had a, a good life, so I have a lot of great memories flooding my mind right now. Um, but I would say that marriage to my wife and, of course, the birth of my children, I mean, all of those are, are top of mind. Wonderful. Who's the number one hero in your life? I'd say my father. And although he is no longer with us, um, he really taught me the principles of having a good value system and staying true to that. What was his name and what did he do? Uh, his name was Roy Kimball and he was a CPA. And he, after he worked for some of the big firms, he started his own and you know built a really nice business and ultimately had a great exit strategy and selling it off. So I've always thought that he was a pretty smart business guy. Wonderful. What's the top value you subscribe to? Integrity. Who's the most important person in your life? My wife, for sure. What's her name and how'd you meet her? Name is Carolyn, and I met her after college at a wedding. Wow. Did she look at you funny, like, my name's going to be Carolyn Kimball? Uh, um, I 
What was her name before? Uh, uh, Carolyn Kelly. Oh, she was used to the hard K sound then. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, I think um, I think we knew it was probably inevitable when um, she accidentally knocked over a drink and it spilled on my ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What's your favorite thing in the whole wide world? The beach. What's your favorite food? Risotto. Yeah, all right. Uh, most beautiful place you've ever been to? Switzerland. If you could describe success in one word, what would that word be? Contentment. How do you want to be remembered? As someone who treated people well. What's some advice you would give to a younger Grant? Be more confident in your decisions and take bold decisions. What's your favorite sound? The ocean. And the best lesson you've learned that you'd pass on? Uh, just to follow your gut. Follow the things that interest you and everything else will take care of themselves. Grant Kimball from Brand Insight in uh, Portland, Oregon. And uh, Grant, I really appreciate you being on today and sharing all your valuable expertise with us. Well, Tony, as always, I enjoy talking to you. And, uh, you know, I guess along the themes of the show, I hope that something came out of this conversation that will help your listeners be better than before. I think uh, they, there's a lot there for them. And you came down and visited with us here in Columbia last summer. And I'll be glad when I get to spend time with you again. Yeah, I would look forward to coming back again and spending a little bit more time there. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Thank you. Wonderful. Grant Kimball, Brandon Sight. I'll have more on Better Than Before coming up next. Hi, I'm Dave Drain. And I'm Dan Burks. And we're the owners of University Subaru. As a locally owned business, we care for our community. We know how important it is to give back because we grew up here and we raised our family here. This is our home, which means we care for our customers like we care for our community. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. From here, been here, and we will always be here for you. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards, and we're going to do our business and leadership lesson to close the show this week. I just want to tell you before I get into it how much I really appreciate you connecting with us, how much I enjoy uh, doing this show for you, and I'm always trying to add value to people. And this show is just one more vehicle that we use in order to help people be better than before. And a couple of podcasts ago, uh, we started talking about carving out strategic time for yourself. And I've been working on leadership lessons centered around how do you use that time? 
Well, here's another way that I think you could productively fill the time that you strategically set aside for yourself. And this one has dual purpose. It helps you in relationships. It also helps you feel good about um, doing things. And that is to volunteer. Leadership Columbia is a program that I do every year uh, for the Columbia, Missouri Chamber of Commerce, where I help leaders through a program from January to June and uh, helping develop them for future opportunities in the marketplace and in the community. It just, I feel like it just helps the community be stronger because we're developing these folks and they're going to be able to contribute so much more because of the program. I also do it for our state capital, Jefferson City, Missouri, just down the road here and have been engaged in doing some of these retreats for some other leadership community programs by chambers around. And what I will tell you is all the participants, once they see all of the opportunities to volunteer, to help out their community, they are more than willing to respond to the challenge. One of the days that we do in Leadership Columbia, and I'm sure it's part of a lot of leadership programs, but it's called Social Services Day. And they take a tour around many of the social service organizations in the community, and they get to see what they do and get to see how they serve the less fortunate in our community. And many times, half the class will be signed up to volunteer at many of those organizations that they toured and they had an education or come to an understanding on. But there's just a lot of uh, volunteer opportunities and needs in the community that you live in. And I want to urge you to think about volunteering, uh, giving some of your strategic time away in pursuit of a worthy cause. Volunteer at a, at a retirement home or volunteer at a hospital, uh, maybe a soup kitchen or Volunteer to do something for someone who can't do for themselves. Perhaps you know, we're in the middle of winter time here. It's February, and we've had a lot of snow this year. Maybe you just volunteer to shovel out your neighbor's uh, driveway or someone else in the neighborhood's driveway. Uh, there's all kinds of ways to serve other people uh, when you start looking. When you volunteer... It's kind of amazing to me, but I find this to be true. When you volunteer, you learn so much about other people, but most of all, you learn a lot about yourself. And a lot of times, it is how fortunate and how wonderful your life is uh, compared to somebody who may not have it as well as you do. And getting in touch with those people, I mean, those people are real, man. And a lot of them are just like people that I know or that I grew up with. I grew up in very meager circumstances. And so sometimes it's just really good for us to reconnect with some of those things and get out and help other people. I tell people all the time, I just told a group this morning, any kind of giving, it doesn't necessarily have to be phrased as giving back, any kind of giving has power attached to it. And there's a force multiplier on that power that comes back to you. It's kind of funny, but John D. Rockefeller, who was the richest guy in the 1900s uh, and the 1910s, the 1920s, he founded Standard Oil. 
and he actually started trying to give away most of his fortunes. Matter of fact, trying to answer all of the letters that people had written to him asking for money almost caused him to have a stroke. He couldn't keep up with the amount of letters that were coming to him over people who needed financial aid or assistance. And he was so dedicated to sitting down and looking at those letters every single morning. And he tried to answer each one and he tried to examine the request. And then he, he you know, wanted to fulfill some of it. He actually used his money to start the University of Chicago. Uh, he built libraries. Uh, he started the March of Dimes. There were plenty of things that this guy who had been so economically blessed my point is the more he tried to give away, the richer he got. The more he tried to give away, the more that came back to him. So giving has a lot of power attached to it. And the more you give out, the more it keeps giving back to you as well as serving other people. When it becomes something that doesn't affect you that way, it's probably time to move on to something else, right? I mean, when when you're not getting back the satisfaction that you once had when you're giving to an organization or serving at an organization, it's probably time for you to leave. Uh, you have probably fulfilled your purpose with that particular organization. Now you need to go find a new one that you can get excited about and that you can get motivated over and find ways to help them, have found ways to give to them and find ways to serve them. I think if you do some volunteer work in your strategic time, it will bless you and benefit you to the nth degree. So that's my suggestion this week on how to fill your strategic time. Find some volunteer opportunities and take advantage of them. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru. Join us for the Subaru True Love event in Columbia. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, your truly locally owned dealer. I'm Tony Richards on behalf of associate producer Whitney Coker and chief producer Bill Foster, reminding you we'll be back with another show next week. And until then, remember... Everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.